Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Counseling on the Force Center podcast feed, the show that believes absolutely every single part of Star Wars is great from a certain point of view. I am your host, my name is Joseph Scrimshaw, with me as always is a special guest, Little Sip of Whiskey. Here is what Little Sip of Whiskey sounds like. Mm. Tastes like jumping into hyperspace. 
And that is where we are going. We are jumping toward the light of feeling better about Star Wars. About the things that bother us in Star Wars. The Last Jedi, of course, has been out in theaters. It is barely still in theaters, and yet now it is coming soon to a galaxy near us. In fact, it has come to a galaxy near us, meaning our homes. It's home viewing and home reading time for The Last Jedi. The novelization is out. Ken and I did a great big breakdown of The Last Jedi novelization. We talked about it almost as long as it would take to listen to the audiobook, I think. Anyway, uh, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you can check that out. The Last Jedi novelization is great, and of course the digital download has arrived as I record this, and soon the actual physical Blu-ray will be in all of our homes. So I thought this would be a great time to go through uh, some of the grievances that have been sent in all between the months since the movie came out and address a bunch of different Last Jedi grievances. Now, some of these are kind of big picture ones. Some of them are small. Some of them are just uh, funny, on purpose funny. So why not have some fun in all things balance? So let's get right into this. This was sent in on Twitter uh, by Aiden, who has the Twitter handle at Installation04. Aiden says, I need some Star Wars counseling and you're the best in the business. Thank you, Aiden. Why does Poe have the idea to call Maz? That is in all caps. I'd be okay if they were looking through Han's Rolodex and found her number or even Finn having the idea. But why Poe? He never met her. May the Force be with you. Great, great question, Aiden. Here is juicy, fresh counseling. In the novelization of The Last Jedi, it was Finn's idea. That just takes care of it, or does it? That opens the thorny question of which is canon, the book or the movie. They usually say the movie, and then the book is canon until it's not, until it's trumped by the movie. So maybe in your mind, Aiden, you should just let the novelization of The Last Jedi be true. That's kind of what I might do because I agree with this uh, uh, grievance. I think it was a weird uh, moment in the movie that Finn did not have the idea. That said... Here are some other thoughts. It is perfectly believable that Poe does have a relationship with Maz. We just don't see it. Uh, Han takes BB-8 to Maz in The Force Awakens because he doesn't want to see Leia, and he wants someone else to get this droid back to the Resistance, which suggests that, of course, the uh, high-ranking members of the Resistance, the regular Resistors uh, like Leia and Poe, do have a relationship with Maz. So uh, she's just a well-known resource for the Resistance, so maybe Poe knows her that way. It is also possible, uh, Aiden, you brought up the great uh, term, the great idea of the Rolodex, something you flip through. In my head canon, uh, Maz has a Rolodex of attractive beings of all species. We know that her boyfriend Chewbacca is in there. We know that the Master Codebreaker is in there. If you had a Rolodex of attractive beings in the galaxy, Poe Dameron would be in there seven different times, wouldn't he? Another bit of headcanon that I turn to for uh, this particular grievance is that maybe Poe was being supportive of Finn. Uh, we know that Poe is supportive of Finn. Uh, we see that again and again. Not only is Poe worried about Finn's recovery, Poe takes the time to stitch up the holes 
in the jacket that looks so good on Finn so that he can have it when he wakes up. That is care. That is love. So maybe Poe wanted in that moment for Finn to feel included. Poe is saying to himself, Finn is kind of brand new to the galaxy at large. He knows everything from a First Order perspective, but he doesn't know many people. He knows like two people, and one of them, Han Solo, is dead. So what if... I came up with somebody who's both a legitimate good suggestion for fixing this problem that we need of a a great hacker to get us on board the supremacy. And what if I pick someone that Finn also knows so he feels included? I admit, that one is a bit of a stretch. I can feel my headcanon groaning under that, but it's still a fun one to think about. More than anything, I think this grievance is a great example of our relationship with the movies. Because sometimes our relationships to these stories we've seen in the movies warps our reflection of the galaxy itself. Because we as an audience know that Finn knows Maz because we saw that. Maz looked into Finn's eyes. Uh, But Finn might not know that Maz is a great resource, for exactly this kind of thing that he's looking uh, to be done, to have this... Uh, he he didn't know that she's a great code breaker, too, or maybe he could guess that she would know other code breakers. And in some ways, it does make almost more logical sense that uh, Maz is a known resource for the Resistance. They have only so many allies, and Maz is a person that they can go to for help. And in some ways, it's maybe even more logical that Poe would know that. But of course, to us in the audience, it doesn't feel logical because we see Finn spend time with Maz. We don't see uh, Poe spend time with Maz. So for myself, as I talk through this to try to help you out, Aiden and other people who are bothered by this particular one, I find myself being okay with both Finn and Poe coming up with the idea to call Maz. And this is my ultimate counseling on this. It would have been cool if they had both said Maz at the same time. Finn and Poe are in such, such good chemistry. They're so connected that they both come up with the idea at the same time. Maz! It's fun to imagine them both shouting Maz at the same time. They both look good in that jacket, and Maz sounds good coming out of both of their mouths. Mmm, Maz mouths. Anyway, that is my counseling on that one. I hope that helps a little bit, Aiden, and we're going to move on to our next grievance. Mark Herring, with the Twitter handle, at MarkHerring3, says, I have a problem with the First Order. Well, who among us doesn't? But here's Mark's problem. Their trash can design is simply terrible. Why would it have a grate at its bottom? Wouldn't this allow liquid trash to flow out of it? Can you help me overcome this minuscule critique? Yes, Mark. Yes, I can. This is a great one. Thank you for this grievance. I think that this trash can, and I I have looked at it closely, even in the visual dictionary, and Mark is 100% correct. This trash can is full of holes. I think this is a sign that the first order separates their solids from their liquids. This is yet another example of how absurdly organized the First Order is. That is how obsessed with control they are. That if Captain Kennedy is walking through the finalizer or the supremacy or the fulminatrix, his dreadnought, and he's like, hey, I got an apple and some juice. There are apples in Star Wars. They're just called space apples. So he's got a space apple and he's got some space apple juice. 
where is he going to throw them? Maybe he tries to throw them both in the same trash can, and then Huck sees him and screams, No! We must have order! Because you must have two different trash cans on First Order ships. This makes a lot of sense if you look at other examples of First Order's obsession with organization. Even Snoke's awesome Praetorian guards are balanced. There are two sets of four. There is an obsession not only with order, but with balance in the First Order. I think this is why Snoke was so mad at Kylo for getting that face scar, because it unbalances his face. Faces should be symmetrical, and trash cans should be either solid or fluid, but never both at the same time. Gross, says the First Order. Now that said, it's an obvious security problem because BB-8 exploited it. A trash can you can hide behind and yet see out of? That is ridiculous. So I would advise the First Order to make some changes to prevent these future problems. You should not have eye holes for droids in your trash cans. Another big thing to do besides having no holes in trash cans to uh, protect your authoritarian dominating government military thing from invasion is simply this. Don't ever, ever let anyone else wear your clothes. Like a teenager who is mad at their sibling for wearing their sweater, don't let other people wear your clothes. If the First Order is so obsessed with improving upon the Empire, studying the Empire and saying, how did the Empire fall? Well, the Empire failed repeatedly because they let rebels constantly dress up as them. None of that would have happened on Scarif if they had not dressed up as Imperials. The rebels, the crew from Star Wars Rebels, that cell, they dress up as stormtroopers, as biker scouts. There's probably a lost episode of Star Wars Rebels where they dress up as just plants that are around an Imperial office. They dress up as Imperials constantly. Of course, the classic from our perspective as an audience, the original. Luke and Han dressing up as stormtroopers running around the Death Star, shooting all the Emperor Palpatine's dudes. Even the second Death Star was brought down by a rebel wearing Imperial clothing. Han put on that helmet to lie to the Imperials inside the bunker that they needed some uh, support. They come out and they get captured by Ewoks. So, first order, this is my message to you. Clean up your trash can program and do something with your outfits. Make them somehow genetically tagged to the actual individual who's supposed to wear them. Hux loves his technology so much, I think that's what he should be working on in between episode 8 and episode 9. Hux should be working exclusively on developing first order uniforms that shock you if they do not match your genetic tag. I feel like I've gotten a little off topic, but this was something very close to my heart. Thank you for the very fun grievance, Mark, and I hope this counseling helped that uh, this counseling is mostly just me agreeing with you. This is absurd that the First Order allows there to be holes in their trash cans, even if they're explicitly for solids. Moving on, we have someone with a great Twitter handle. The handle on Twitter is TurkeyOnWeeT at LeanneOnWe. I'm a big fan of Ennui. I love just staring off into the horizon and feeling it, so great name, and Turkey's pretty good too. Here is what Turkey Ennui T has to say. Help me, Star Wars counseling, you're my only hope. 
can't stand repetition of words like snuff and line snake in The Last Jedi. Poor writing, editing, or both takes me out of film and annoys me that other ways of saying things are not explored. Otherwise, love The Last Jedi. Also, repetition of the word raw. I'm sure there are more. As one with an English degree, it drives me nuts. Use synonyms. Now, I find this one very, very understandable. Uh, I'm a writer. I've spent many hours, uh, probably days total of my life, going through drafts of different kind of scripts, changing words that end up being an accident where you use the same word again and again. Now, in my opinion, Ryan Johnson is an amazing writer. So I would think that this is either an accident of editing where you end up with, oh, that's kind of the the take we need to use. That's the word we need to use. Who knows? Uh, I haven't had a chance as I'm recording this to to watch the uh, great documentary that everybody's in love with of the director and the Jedi, or as my wife accidentally called it, a man and his Jedi. That's not the title, but maybe it should have been. Anyway, haven't got a chance to watch it yet, so who knows? Maybe there's insight on that. But here's where I'm coming from. Uh, Maybe an editing mistake, or maybe it is a choice. Here's a way that I choose to look at that. I think it is a valid choice to have some repetition to try to make the universe, the galaxy, a little bit more real and relatable because maybe... It's just a common word. There is precedent for things like this. Going back to the creator George Lucas, uh, Lucas wanted to show that some names in Star Wars were common, so he just threw a bunch of Antilles out there. We know that uh, there's a politician named Bale Antilles. There is the captain of the Tantive Ford named Ramus Antilles. And, of course, the famous Wedge Antilles of the Red Slash Rogue Squadron. So there's a lot of Antilles out there. So we know that George did have an interest. As much as it's a big, weird, fantastic galaxy, that he did want some strange elements of realism. Uh, So I choose to think that some of these repetition of words in The Last Jedi is a continuation of that philosophy. And when I hear Snake said twice, I just assume that Snake right now in the galaxy is an insult word that's just very popular. I think it is like saying, uh, hearing someone say asshole twice. Now, normally in a movie, if you hear somebody say asshole twice, you go, eh, yeah, that, that's fine because many of us say asshole many times. I've said it three times on this podcast in the last few seconds. Anyway, so I imagine that snake is just a a common word. It's a common insult. Now, I understand if you're coming from the perspective of like, well, Star Wars is a little heightened. It's a little operatic, and uh, we don't call people moof milkers more than once. There's uh, only one nerf herder on screen. Nerf herder has been used other places. So let's keep up to that standard. And I think that's a valid perspective. But if you're trying to feel better about it, this is a way to look at it from a different perspective point of view, a certain point of view, is that the words are just supposed to be common. Another way to look at it, uh, like the repetition of the word raw, I know at least it's once Snoke saying it. Uh, I think maybe uh, Luke says it once, the raw power too. Uh, I also like just thinking that maybe Snoke just loves the word raw. He just seems like the kind of guy who just could not ever stop using the word raw. Like, he almost uses it like it's cool or awesome. Like, look at my raw robe. Like, Snoke, that's not really the way we use that word. We also hear raw, I believe, used in the context of describing power. So maybe that's just this weird uh, thing that happens in the Star Wars galaxy. Sort of like people saying, slake your thirst. It's a word that only exists 
in combination, for the most part, in our vernacular with thirst. Like, in theory, you could slake other things, like I could slake my desire for a cheeseburger, but slake is mostly a thirst word. We say slake your thirst. Maybe people mostly only say raw if they're talking about power. Like, look at the raw power of that. But you couldn't say, like, look at the raw robe, like I uh, imagine Snoke saying, and people would be like, what are you talking about? Just like if I walked into Toys R Us and said, I'm here to slake my desire for action figures. I shouldn't have mentioned Toys R Us. Anyway, I would like all of the Toys R Us to remain open so I could slake my desire, my raw power of need for Star Wars action figures. Anyway... Turkey, if I may call you Turkey, Turkey Ennui, I think this is an understandable grievance. I hope some of these other ways of looking at it helped. If they did not, I have one other possible solution for you. I would turn to one of what I think is the best lines in The Last Jedi, and that is when Snoke says to Rey, and I will kill you with the cruelest stroke. It's great, over-the-top, operatic writing. It also sounds like something an editor would say. So anytime that you hear a word repetition in The Last Jedi and it annoys you, you can imagine that Snoke has an actual red pen and he says that in response to a repeated word. He says, I'm going to edit this with the cruelest stroke. Shing. I don't know why that's a strokey noise. That's what red pens sound like in my mind. Shing. Like swords being unsheathed. Very, very audibly. Great question. Thank you for sending that grievance in. We are going to move on to the meatiest of grievances on this episode of Star Wars Counseling, and that is from Nelik183, at Nelik183 on Twitter. And Nelik183 says, Hey, Joseph, I need counseling on the Holdo hyperspace crash, its impact on the existing space battles in the other movies. So this is a big one. This is one of the big hang-ups that a lot of people have with The Last Jedi. And if you Google it, you can read a million essays, a million hot takes on this. Here are, are my thoughts. I think, uh, for one thing, it's not totally new to Star Wars. Certainly, the big, big maneuver of Holdo driving the Raddus straight through the Supremacy and the shockwave going through a bunch of the Star Destroyers that are lined up behind the Supremacy, the the hugeness of that, how monumental, how successful it is. That's new. But there is precedent for the effect of jumping to light speed, just kind of smashing, blowing up, ripping, destroying things around it as the ship moves from normal space into hyperspace. In The Force Awakens, there's that Raftar hanging onto the window of the Falcon, and it appears to just be uh, certainly pulled off the Falcon, but ripped apart a bit. Uh, there's also an episode of Star Wars Rebels where Hera jumps to light speed just as she's flying through an Imperial hangar. Now, the Imperial hangar is open on either end, so there's nothing to run into, but as she makes the jump, she blows apart a bunch of the ships and the walkers inside the hangar. So there is precedent. This is not brand new. It is something that we have seen people do in Star Wars allowing their ships uh, take off into hyperspace to have an effect on objects in the immediate vicinity. That said, I don't think it's a standard maneuver that people in the galaxy are aware of that they do. It seems to be as something that happens out of desperation or a moment of uh, just 
insight of just, hey, I got to move now and that will get rid of the thing that is next to me or on me or behind me and all that. Uh, And we'll get into a little bit more about that uh, specific idea. But I also want to share some stuff from the Last Jedi novelization. If you haven't had a chance to read it in this book, it is clarified that what Holdo does is not an easy thing to do. First, Poe had already programmed the jump into hyperspace into the Nava computer is a part of his whole plan that Rose and Finn were going to shut down the tracker on the supremacy and then the Radis would be able to jump away and they would not be able to be tracked. And he was his part of the plan, as stated explicitly in the movie, is, yeah, he'll be there on the ship to make the jump to hyperspace where he had already put all of those calculations in. The ship was ready to go. It also says in the book that Holdo had to do a bunch of work to override all of the protections in the system. That and it, this is somewhere else in in Star Wars canon too. That uh, ships are of course built if they have a proximity sensor that something's right in front of them, they won't let you just jump to hyperspace. The book also makes it clear that the ships happen to be lined up, like as a matter of luck. So you take all those things together and you realize that this is not just something that you can do any old time. It takes luck. It takes skill, it takes time, it takes effort, and it takes absolute precision so that you are hitting the object just as you are going into hyperspace. So when I think about it like this, I think that sometimes many of us are seeing that move that Holdo is doing is just she is using a very large object to plow into an even larger object and all of the objects behind it. But it's not as simple and direct as that. Basically, it's not just driving a truck into Arby's. Anytime you got a truck in an Arby's, you can pretty much do that. This is much more of a calculation. This is like flying a drone through an exhaust vent of an Arby's, because all Arby's have exhaust vents, and landing it on a specific person's beef and cheddar. It takes precision. Now, I realize my rambling about landing a small drone on a specific person's beef and cheddar does not answer the larger question of Nelic 183 and many, many Star Wars fans about the impact that this has on the history of other space battles in the movies. Well, uh, I think I agree with a lot of the think pieces that are out there that this maneuver would not have worked on the Death Star because the Death Star is too big. I don't think it would have ripped it apart. So that's just like uh, kind of the physics or space physics. I'm not a physics person. If you want to read uh, detailed thoughts from people who understand real-life physics real well or even Star Wars space physics, again, there there are a lot of great articles about this discussing it. Uh, But I think it is also just about tactics. Why not try everything else first, even if you are vaguely aware that this is a crazy thing that you could try? Once the shields went down on the Death Star 2... Oh, why would Lando try this when he could just fly the Millennium Falcon into the superstructure of the Death Star just exactly as he did? Why would he do that? Could they have gone into hyperspace, just plowed ships 
jumping into light speed at exactly the right moment into the Death Star shields? Would that have taken them down? Who knows? Maybe that's a larger question of Star Wars physics and exactly how shields work. Another great example, when you think about it, just from a tactical perspective, is the Battle of Scarif in Rogue One, led by our beloved Admiral Raddus. Now, their goal there was to take out the shield gate above the planet of Scarif. So here is an example where Raddus could have tried this tactic, assuming this is a known tactic in the galaxy, which I kind of don't think it is in my head canon. But assuming it was a known tactic, why wouldn't Raddus, on the profundity, wanting to keep the profundity and all the beans on that ship intact to live to fight another day, why wouldn't Raddus try every other inventive idea that he has before just a massive destruction of life and property by just trying to line the profundity up with the shield gate and take off at exactly the right moment while overriding all of the protections on the ship. My point is, when you think through uh, specific battles, you see that it's not always just an obvious go-to solution. And of course, in this specific example, Radis comes up with this awesome idea of using the the hammerhead ships to crash the two star destroyers into one another so in a way he does use a big ship to crash into the shield gate so uh yeah he still uses a big ship in a clever way just not his own i also think uh you can think about this by not getting hung up on the star wars space physics of it Uh, which obviously it works in Star Wars physics because it was in the movie, and that's how Star Wars physics work. If it's in the movie, then it works. That's why ships make noise in space, because it's Star Wars physics. But I don't mean to say that to be dismissive of wanting there to be an internal logic to Star Wars. So instead of getting as hung up on the physics, I like to think of it as this character moment for Holdo that's obviously what it's intended is, and in the narrative. Uh, But more than anything, I think it's cool to think this is not a standard tactic in galactic combat because it is wasteful. It's dangerous to the other ships around it, even the friendly ships. It is not something ships are designed to do. It sacrifices all of the people or even droids on board the ship. So it's not something that's done. It's not something that uh, people think about, how can we perfect this? We first learned about hyperspace travel from the most reckless character in all of Star Wars, Han Solo. Han Solo, the guy who's willing to do anything. He is the one who gives Luke, the farm kid, a lecture in the very first Star Wars movie about how dangerous hyperspace travel is, that you need precise navigation while flying through hyperspace or you will get your trip ended real quick so if you go with the perspective of people are very very careful with hyperspace travel it is like handling explosives there is an air of caution about it that makes holdo's decision even more inventive impressive and a sacrifice that she is looking around desperately for an option And she sees, hey, the Nava computer is already programmed. The ships are lined up. I could do this crazy thing that normally would never work, that normally no one would ever think of. But in order for the resistance to survive, I'm going to sacrifice this 
our last large ship. I'm going to sacrifice myself because I am out of options. And this crazy, dangerous stunt works because it's only the enemy in front of me. It's not like a bunch of X-Wings are buzzing around. It's not like the uh, other ships from the Resistance had survived. It's just the Radis, just alone. To me, this is a perfect storm of technical opportunity, inventiveness, and creativity, and sacrifice from Holdo. So that's my counseling, really. It's, uh, it's hard to do. It's not the thing that people would naturally think of doing. It is hard to just physically make happen, and people would only ever think to do it in the perfect, dire circumstances, and it would take a little bit of creative thinking. I think it is not an obvious thing to do because it is not a history a part of the history of galactic warfare, so it's not like Holdo's like, yep, I guess I can do this. It is as random as driving a truck into Arby's. That's not a thing that we all just do every day of like, well, I'm having a hard day. How should I handle it? I'm a little stressed out. I need some catharsis, and I dislike Arby's. I suppose I could drive a truck into it. I don't know why I'm obsessed with this analogy, but I am. My point is, I don't think if any random person, any random character had been left on the bridge, if that had been Scythe Thranali, I don't think everyone would have thought of that. It took that character in that moment with that level of desperation, that uh, view of leadership that she is willing to sacrifice herself, that something needed to be done right now, and it was safe for all of her friends to try this drastic, drastic approach, and that this is a, a victory for Holdo specifically. Now, all of that said, this is maybe the beginning of a new kind of galactic warfare. Maybe the First Order sees this, and Hux becomes obsessed not only with adding those new genetic tags to all First Order uniforms, maybe the First Order starts just building huge ships piloted by droids that are designed to fly into anything the First Order doesn't like. Maybe that will be the plot of Episode Nine. Maybe it will be Star Wars Episode Nine. Hux keeps flying stuff into other stuff at light speed. Anyway, great question. I know this is one that people have a lot of strong opinions about, so I hope I gave you some different things to think about and hopefully feel a little bit better about the Holdo maneuver. My final grievance for this episode of Star Wars Counseling is short and sweet. It was sent in by Sebastian Fila at Sebastian70707. Sebastian asks, Want a dumb Star Wars Counseling? How do Kylo Ren's shuttle windows work? When you look at them from the outside, they look tinted red. But from inside, they look clear. Sebastian, I have this ancient Star Wars wisdom to offer. As we all go through life, we're going to find that the color of our shuttle windows depend greatly on our point of view. Thank you, Sebastian for sending in that delightfully dumb bit of Star Wars counseling that made my day when I saw that on the social media. So thank you so much. Thank you for everyone who sent in these grievances over the last several months. Uh, the, some of them are very big, serious ones, like the Holdo Maneuver and a lot of great, fun ones. I love everything from the Holdo Maneuver to the trash cans of the First Order. 
And if you have more grievances like that, you can send them in all about anything in Star Wars. It can be about The Last Jedi. It can be about Star Wars Rebels. It can be about stuff from the community of Star Wars, whatever you would like. Send it in on Twitter or Facebook. Please do use the hashtag Star Wars Counseling. Counseling spelled with an S, and then I can find those uh, when I'm compiling grievances for the episodes. And speaking of finding things, you can find me on all the social media as at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my other podcast, Obsessed. Information on that, my Star Wars comedy album, Rebel Scum, all my live shows in Los Angeles and at conventions. Info on all of that on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You can like Force Center on Facebook and follow us on Twitter as at Force Center Pod. You can check out our merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. You can support our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Force Center. As I record this, we are very close to our next goal, and our next goal is for brand new theme music for Star Wars Counseling, this very show written by Tony Thaxon, who has already created great Great theme music for our main show, Databank Brawl, and Jennifer Landa's new show, Happy Beeps. If you haven't, for some reason, checked out Jennifer's first episode of Happy Beeps, please do that. We're really happy and proud to be presenting so many different kinds of shows here on the Force Center podcast feed. We have the main show on Tuesdays. We have Databank Brawl on Thursdays. And then on Fridays, alternating every other week is Star Wars Counseling and then Jennifer Landa's Happy Beeps. And then, of course, on Sundays, we have alternating episodes of Ken's Star Wars Ranked and Spotlight Star Wars. So check them all out. And until next time, as Han Solo once said in a moment of brutal honesty, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one. That's it for Star Wars Counseling. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.